Welcome to the State of Being podcast show. I'm your host, Michelle Saya. Today, I am super, super excited to introduce to you my friend, my dear taboo sister, Kat. She is a Kundalini breathwork teacher, and I actually did a Kundalini initiation one-on-one session with her. When we did the session a little over a week ago, I went through so much emotional purging so many energetic shifts and i am so so grateful for kat this episode is something that i've just been looking forward to for such a long time to release because it's been so powerful for me i've gained so much healing insights just by having this beautiful sacred conversation with her and so I hope that after listening to it, if you are curious, if you're on the fence of diving into Kundalini, if you're fascinated with breath work and you don't know where to start, do not hesitate to work with Kat. She is truly a gem and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Kat and I, we've connected over at Tabwoo, which is uh, Lexi D'Angelo's coaching certification that we're both a part of um, currently. And so we connected during a practice coaching call and magic happened. So I'm really glad that we connected that way. And yeah, Kat, tell us a little bit about how you got started being a spiritual coach and an energy worker. I'd love to. And yes, it was absolute magic when we (laughs) met on our practicum call. That was awesome. Taboo is an amazing certification. So already making so many magical, um, you know, connections through that. So Let's see. I, I now am in the coaching world. So I call myself a spiritual coach, but this is a new title for me. So I would say, I still think of myself a lot more, um, in the yoga teacher world and the meditation and breathwork teacher world. And I'm slowly starting to put on this new hat as a coach. And really, I mean, the way I got started was, uh, my entire life. So, after finding, which we can talk about my spiritual path and how I um, came to be, you know, a Kundalini yoga instructor and um, a Tantra, classical Tantra teacher. But really that's how I unfolded into this world of spiritual guidance. Um, I'm an Aquarius sun and I've never been cut out. And I know I've never been cut out for just quote unquote, like normal job, normal life, normal, whatever, whatever normal is. Um, and so I've always had these sort of empathic intuitive gifts when I learned the Kriya yoga, the Kundalini yoga, the Tantra in India, it brought context and words to what I always felt inside intuitively. And so I took that for almost a year, just as internal practice, um, healing lifetimes of anxiety, healing a lifetime of fear, doubt, um, just feeling really small and knowing I was meant for something bigger. And it kind of took me to the point where I finally said enough, I can't do this nine to five anymore that I was, I was working for a software company. Um, and I had just really expanded internally enough from the practice that I had the, that, that crossed that threshold of saying, I just can't do this anymore. I don't know what's on the other side. I don't know how I'm going to make money, how I'm going to pay rent, but I know this is, I have to do this. And so I left my job last year, um, in 2019. And since then have really just dived into full on 
sharing my gifts, sharing my medicine, teaching others, um, doing one-on-one sessions and coming up with some courses. So that's how I got to here. (laughs) Yay. That's amazing. And I know you mentioned um, getting into Kundalini work and classical Tantra for those of you out there that are listening for the first time and these concepts are new to you can you talk about you know in layman's term what are these two concepts about and what's the difference between classical tantra and the tantra that we know today that seems to be really trendy in the moment yes yes okay i love this question and i have so much fun answering this um i was on clubhouse recently and went in so i'm cool. ready yeah um so When we talk about classical Tantra, we are talking about an all-encompassing philosophy, an all-encompassing way of living that was developed by these ancient seers, the Rishis in the Himalayas in antiquity, thousands of years ago in the Sanskrit language, right? So we can think of Tantra as the umbrella or like the ocean of this knowledge. And it comes from the Vedas, which are ancient yogic texts. They have, they contain the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, like all of these texts that we take for yogic philosophy, practice, I mean, mantra, like asanas, all of it comes from that, right? So there's actually a piece of the Vedas. I'm getting really scientific here with it, but I'm, I'm a total nerd about all this stuff. So there's a, an actual piece of the Vedas called the Tantras. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it, it's a path of yoga. It's a path of spiritual development and self-development and evolution that includes a just vast amount of knowledge about how to do these practices, like literally down to like what these breathwork practices are, the pranayamas, which is the breathing Um, you know, how to eat, how to speak, all these mantras to chant, like all this stuff. And it also goes into like the grand scheme, sort of what is the universe? Like, what is consciousness? Like, who are we? Like, what is God? Right? So that's Tantra. Within Tantra, we have this concept called Kundalini. Kundalini is this infinite potential energy that resides in the human body. And Kundalini is the human potential for spiritual enlightenment, for spiritual evolution. So as we practice all of these different devoted practices, breath work, meditation, mantra, personal expansion, we start to actually unleash this energy, this Shakti, this life force energy. You can think of it as like chi or prana. And we unlock that within us and we start to kind of feel like we have superpowers, right? We get clarity. Like we can, we can see what's going to happen in front of us. We, we get a lot of power in that we finally feel less doubt. Like we feel like we actually can act upon our reality and that Kundalini, once it's kind of turned on, a lot of people have, have activated their Kundalini and don't realize it when they've just sort of awakened, when they all of a sudden understand that they are, can act upon their life and all the stuff holding them back is kind of BS. Um, and it it sets them on an awakening path. Right. So that in a nutshell is what we would, I would say Tantra and Kundalini encompasses. So Tantra is sort of the big umbrella. Kundalini is an energy in the body that we can awaken through spiritual practice, through yoga practice, especially through Kundalini yoga techniques, which are simply yoga techniques, um, breath mantra meditations that help to turn that on. Mm. 
Now, what's interesting is we have this whole world of neo-tantra now in a lot in the West, but kind of all over. And neo-tantra is probably what you, not you now, because we've had this conversation before, but what yeah. most people think of when they think of tantra. And that is, um, you know, sacred sexuality work, um, partner work, sacred sex, uh, kind of more feminine, often a lot of more feminine based stuff. Um, and I'm not saying that any of the, the neo-tantra practices are wrong or bad. I think a lot of them are incredible for helping people tap into their sexuality, feel better in their body, you know, not feel as much shame around their sexuality, but um, the word Tantra has gotten just inextricably linked to the, these, mm -hmm. these sex, these sex practices. And like, people kind of think of like, oh, I went to a Tantra training. It was just a big, you know, people think, oh, it's just a big orgy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, what's interesting is the aspect of sex is only tied to classical Tantra in that Tantra does not deny the body. Mm -hmm. Tantra does not deny us as sexual human beings experiencing life, procreating. You don't have to become a nun, a nun, a nun, a monk or a nun to practice Tantra. You don't have to renounce the world, renounce your sexuality to be a, a Tantra practitioner. Beyond that, there isn't really anything in Tantra besides of one very esoteric small school that teaches these sexual practices. Mm -hmm. um, so neo-tantra really came out of kind of the, the free sex movement of the 60s, the counterculture. Mm -hmm. um, yoga was being brought over to the West at that time anyway. And so they took on this aspect of tantra to be like free love, you know, sexual experiences and sort of it took on a life of its own. So I think it's really interesting to see where it came from um, and to give people that new lens that when you hear Tantra, it, it could not mean sex work. It could, it could not mean sexuality based consciousness, right? It could be meditation practices or breath practices or classical non-dual Tantra. Yeah, I love how you beautifully explained the nuances of that, because I think for a lot of people that are just getting into understanding spirituality and being conscious of their spiritual journey, it's inevitable that they're going to come across, you know, yeah. tapping into their Kundalini and diving into the exploration of classical Tantra, Tantra work, um, and I think a couple things come up for me. I have, I have so many questions about this because sexuality is so nuanced as well. And then when you imbue spirituality and sexuality, um, I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't talk about that I kind of see as like the pink, the big elephant in the room, especially for people that are newcomers to uh, practicing their spirituality and interested in tantra work does tantra work have to be penetrative does sacred sexuality have to be penetrative um because you mentioned breath work as like under the umbrella of this and so for me my personal answers and my personal beliefs with this is different it for me it doesn't have to necessarily be penetrative and i think people have this like pressure to be like i must you know, imbue free love in the form of having multiple partners in order to truly infuse, you know, neo-tantra 
into my life in order to be a true spiritualist. And for me, I think that couldn't be further from the truth. And I also recognize that there's more than one truth in this life. Everyone has different belief systems within that nuance in that context. So I would love to hear your thoughts about that as well. Oh, I love this question. Love this question. This is awesome. So no, I also do not think that Tantra work, especially neo-Tantra work has to be penetrative. And I think there's a lot of, as always through social media, I see a lot of pressure for especially women to take on, you know, these crystal dildos and de-armoring practices and all this stuff, which is really important and like wonderful if you're called to that, but that's not the only way to activate all this energy within you. And what I, what, what comes to me with that, the, one of the big premises of Tantra is sensuality. Mm. And when we say sensuality, yes, we mean like feeling sexy and feeling good and like hot and flirty, but we also mean the aspect of experiencing life with our five senses, with full present moment awareness. And Tantra, no matter what you're doing, you know, sex practices or, um, you know, you know, conscious sex practices with a partner or with yourself or any of that, or even just having a cup of coffee or doing a morning meditation, Tantra is going beyond the mind. So Tantra is existing purely in your sensuality, your ability to sense your, these inputs, these textures, these colors, just this present moment. And when you get through practice, because we can't think our way into this state, right? That's why we practice. We go beyond the mind. We get to this point where even for just a a fleeting second or a flash, we're able to be in pure unbounded presence And it's almost a sexual experience. I mean, it's orgasmic. The amount of energy surrounding us in our world, the amount of beauty to taste that for even a moment. So that's what I think with, um, you know, not having to, it doesn't have to be a sexual experience or a penetrative experience to access Mm -hmm. that. Now going a little further, um, we, we actually can, utilize these sensual, these sexual flows of energy in our body through um, like breath and meditation practices. Mm. So, that, so it does go a bit further. There, there are certain breath and meditation practices that we can do where we start to activate the spinal movement and start to wave the spine and draw energy up and down that will activate sort of this sexual movement of energy but it doesn't necessarily result in orgasm, right? It doesn't necessarily result in a physical experience. It may result in samadhi, which is union with pure consciousness, right? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. What you just shared reminded me of a personal experience that I had many years ago when I was very unconscious and I also worked in corporate and I was just deeply unhappy like with myself and feeling very lost. And there were a couple of tragedies that happened and it kind of thrusted me into this doorway of uncertainty, but also what I now recognize as this spiritual awakening and what you described through the breath. I remember there was a memory where I was just focusing on conscious breathing just because my body wanted to do it. And it's something that I never really was conscious about 
and being present with the breath. And what happened was I felt sparks up my spine. And the best way to describe it was it felt like I married into this energy. It felt like an orgasm, but even better than what we recognize as a penetrative orgasm or something that was manually stimulated. And it felt like my whole body was just, it just lit up and I didn't understand what was happening. And I was just overcome with so much emotion. And after that happened, so many things outside of my control unfolded. It fe- I felt like I was being propelled into a wave of this pathway that just opened up for me. And I knew to just surrender and not question it. And it was the first time having no resistance and just focusing on the breath felt like the most natural thing in the world. So my question to you is, for someone that's really fascinated by breath work, but they're so new to it, how do they get started? And what can they understand? How can they achieve clarity with understanding the importance of the breath? Oh, yes, yes. Well, it really all comes back to breath. And that experience, that experience sounds so incredible. It sounds like you activated this level of prana, right? That electricity in your body. Um, and it really does make things unfold like as within, so without we affect the inside, the outside unfolds. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why surrender is so important. But to answer your question with breath work, um, and I'm actually doing, doing a masterclass on this soon, because I feel like it's really important to clear up this, the breath work world is just getting big right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's so, I think it can be a little bit overwhelming for people. There's Wim Hof breathing and like transcendental breath work and this breath work and there's all this stuff. And it's like, what do I do? Which one's right? How do I choose? And then how do I get started? So, um, I like to, I like to tell my clients to keep it simple. Um, especially at first, there's lots of really complicated breath techniques out there that will take you to all these, you know, extra planetary spaces, but as with everything, we build ourselves up and we're, none of us, even me is not going to take on a new practice. If we have to do something complicated for 30 minutes every day, that's just like too much to take on that new habit. You can change your life doing five minutes of, of really simple pranayama, which is means like breathing technique and and the yogic, um, tradition, but pranayama just means breath work. You can change your life doing a five minute simple breath work practice every morning. And I would say personally, in order to like get started on that path and feel your way through it, forget all the noise, just um, learn one simple technique that you can do. You can, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. If that's kind of noisy for you, then you can find somebody, you know, a teacher or a breathwork guide um, on social media or, you know, wherever that really just calls to you that you feel connected to their energy. I'm sure, and you know, they may have a free practice available. Um, That's really a great place to start because it, 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 there's just a lot out there and yeah, I, I just think it can be a little overwhelming with all these different techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting point I do want to make quickly is that, and I'm not saying that the, the, the yogic breathing is any better or worse, but a lot of these new, kind of newer breathwork practices that people have decided to brand all come from the same place. Mm-hmm. It's all pranayama. 
So kind of, to me, start at the source, start at the origin, then maybe find the, the one, the branded one or the school of it that you really are called to, right? I love that. I think that's such a great way to go. And it's understanding the foundational essence of where it came from, like going back to the origin source is so important because there's an integrity there that I think can be easily lost, especially since we're living in a time where things are moving so fast and everything is branded, everything is marketed, and it can be so overwhelming. One question that does come to mind, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about is a lot of people that share with me their first time with their breathwork experience. And so, so with mine, the first time I did breathwork, I was noticing that my hands would just stiffen and it would turn into like crab claws. And I just could not control my fingers or my hands. I was like, what's happening? So can you Uh, tell us what is happening with our bodies when we are in the middle of breath work. Yes. Isn't it wild? Like the craziest sensations come through. Um, I know I was in a breath work session with someone else uh, one time leading it and she warned us and it actually happened to me that you kind of start to make a beak, like your lips will start to kind of go like this and make a beak and like, you can't stop it. So that's totally normal. Um, When you are doing breath work, I'll make two points about this. Okay, first, kind of the context. When we do breath work, what we're doing is we are expanding our body's capacity to hold these larger amounts of energy in our nervous systems. So, you know, as just kind of an unawake, unconscious, going throughout our day human with no energy maintenance, if if a large amount of energy enters, and this is huge for empaths too, right? Because we are energetic sponges. So energy comes in, it overwhelms our nervous systems and our bodies and it equals anxiety, you know, withdrawal, shutdown, whatever. So with breath work, sort of the, 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 the technical workings of breath work in the yogic practice as a whole is to create that expanded capacity for energy in the body so that when we experience these fluctuations throughout life and throughout our day, we can anchor those, we can hold them. We can kind of hold these larger amounts of energy, which then expands us more. So it's like this expand, 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 anchor, and then expand, expand, expand some more. That's the growth. That's the spiritual growth. So with that, when we're practicing breath work and we start to increase the prana, which is the life force energy, is why we say pranayama. Pranayama is tuning the prana, the life force energy, which is done through the breath. We're increasing the prana in the body. Our body is not used to that yet. So we start to shift our, it it starts to literally shift our energy around. Mm -hmm. And this happens on a psychosomatic, in a psychosomatic way. So you may kind of start to like, feel, feel things or see visions or have memories flash through. That's that, that psyche level. Then we're also experiencing that on a physical level, literally through the nervous system, through the prana moving and shifting. We may feel like a clawing of the fingers. We may have like seemingly uncontrollable arm movements or leg movements or twitches, or I've even practiced breath work before where I was seated and found myself laying down could have been five minutes later 
it just took me out of my body, right. To a place where I needed to process something. Mm. So it's, it's really an energy shift. You're moving energy around a lot. And that's so powerful because it's moving this stuck energy that just gets kind of cemented into our nervous systems because we'd never address it Mm. until we start to do the breath work. Right. Yeah. I, I love how you so clearly explained that. And, um, one thing that I'm very curious about, especially with my personal experience in breath work, the first time I did breath work, something very unexpected happened. And I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on it. I didn't know what to expect going into my first session. And when I did it and I was in a room full of people just laying on the floor and mats, um, being guided through this, I was very overcome with like flashbacks of trauma, not of my own, but what my parents went through, which was completely unexpected. I felt like I tapped into a different state of, I guess, empathy or empath where I witnessed the pain my parents went through. And so diving a little bit into trauma, because spirituality and trauma, there seems to be a relationship to that. Is there a way to heal trauma and ancestral wounds with breath work? And what's the relationship and correlation between these two things? 100%. Absolutely. That is actually one of the main big effects of breath work is moving through ancestral pain, ancestral lineage, memories, bio memory, all this stuff, right? Because trauma, we can really look at as these these memories that hold a charge of pain or fear that we hold in the body. Right. And, um, I've actually had a similar experience. I was doing breath work and I saw both of my grandfather's like entire childhoods and like why they were the way they were. Right. Um, so we can, we can look at it as let me back up. Okay. So there's so much to it. I could like do a whole podcast just on healing trauma through breath work. It's I love so it. important. And I'm so glad that even in taboo, a little bit, shout out to our, uh, our coach Lexi, she's super trauma informed. The work is very trauma informed. And so I love it. And I feel much more connected to this work than anything else. And I know you do too, which is why I love yeah. talking about this. I know it's so important. And yeah. what's really beautiful. What I love about breath work for trauma. And it can be done in relation with other, I mean, it's not the only thing to do for, for releasing trauma, but it's a really, really amazing synchronistic practice to do. What I love for it is that when we're doing breath work, we're fully out of the mind. So when we work with a therapist, which is also an amazing way to work through your trauma, please do that too. But when we work, when we work through it with a therapist or a, co- you know, maybe like a more talking based coach, We are recalling the memory on a conscious level and all of the thoughts and the um, perceptions on the level of the mind of that experience. Mm -hmm. Now, this is great because we need to, you know, remember that it happened in order to release it. We can't, we can't clear anything that we don't know exists, right? But where breathwork takes a different approach is that we're completely accessing those memories in the body. We're completely accessing the memory in the nervous system of when that occurred, right? And so we may heal it on a mental level. We may feel the forgiveness or the understanding or the release, but we're still holding that trauma because everything is energy. Everything is energy. Even your thoughts, even your emotions is 
energy. It is quantum physics. You are holding that in your body as a bio memory of when that happened, how your nervous system felt and it got coded in there. And then you push it down because when we're, go when we're going through life, kind of not awake, unconscious, especially if it happened when you're younger, we, ha we have to survive. We have to cope. So we can't have it on the level of the mind anymore. We wouldn't be able to function. So we push it down and it just kind of gets stuck into the body, into the energy body, what's called the pranamaya kosha. Mm -hmm. It's a layer of energy. So that, that, that may start to leak out because even though we aren't consciously aware of it, it's, it's affecting us. It's that nervous system reaction is a memory and we act off of memories. It's how we learn. So we may then kind of energy leak that into how we react to other things. So breath work goes in. And like I talked about before, releases that energy, moves that energy, brings it up to the surface. So you may be in a breathwork session. And this is what happened to me when I remembered my grandfather's like upbringings, you know, a lot of family pain around the way my parents are and how they react to things. All of a sudden that knowing and that biological memory of my parents growing up with these fathers came to the surface because I unlocked that energy in my system. It came up. I saw all of it and released it from my body. That, like you just said, gave me that clarity, that empathy of, oh my God, that's why they act this way because they grew up this way. And just like the whole scope of it came. So my teacher always says we highlight to delete, right? So mm -hmm. breath work releases it and unlocks it from the body. It comes up. It's a little scary. It can be anxiety. It can be fear. It can be crying. It can be laughing, but we highlight it. And then we hit delete and it clears. It's not weighing us down energetically anymore. That's so, so deep and profound. And I got shivers in my body as you were talking about it. It's just such a powerful tool that we have internally. And most, there's so many people in the world that they don't know that they can tap into this potency that they have within them just yeah. through the breath. Going so deep as to healing and highlighting, as you said, the pain and the wounds of, you know, even from the womb and before that, what their yeah. parents and their grandparents have had to endure in order to arrive into the present moment. So, so many questions that I want to ask you now. I'm just constantly inspired by just hearing what you have to say. So making a little segue, I want to talk a little bit about being an empath. You and I were both empaths. Um, what, I guess the first question that I want to ask you is what was the first sign or at which point in your life did you kind of took a step back and you recognize you're like, oh my God, I'm an empath. Like, how did you discover this? And yeah. what were the, what were the signs? I love this. So, I mean, before I even knew what an empath was, I knew I was hypersensitive or just very, very sensitive to energy in my surroundings because I've, I, before, up until the age of 24, I couldn't remember any time in my life where I wasn't anxious and worried, right? And it's sad, it's, well, it's not sad, it is what it is, that the reason I knew there was some heightened perception in me was that everything, I mean, I just was this ball of anxiety until I was 24. 
So uh, before I had self-awareness, before I realized, oh, you can look inside to figure all this stuff out, you know, I was, I was numbing it. And I knew that I was just like more sensitive than all my friends and more squishy and like felt more things and like always worried more than everybody else. But I never had like looked at it. And then it's really interesting, actually, so, so not random, but just like divinely ordained the way it all came to be. As I started my yogic path and as I started my path of meditation and going to India and learning from my teacher, um, my mom actually kind of joined me on the path. Beautiful. And it wasn't like we talked about it or we had like this BFF, like let's do everything together kind of thing. She just got on it with me. And so she actually is the one who first read Judith Orloff's um, book, uh, Empath Survival Guide. Mm -hmm. So of course she's like, hey, I read this book. Here's what an empath is. I'm like, yeah, that's me. It's her too. All of a sudden it all just like, like, okay, that's why all of this stuff is the way it is. That's why everything affects me so much. That's why everything makes me cry. It was like this like I had already done the spiritual work, spiritual work and all the practices, but it had never showed me why the anxiety had come in so early and so bad. And all of a sudden the, like the knowledge of, of labeling myself or seeing myself as something that exists, not something that was wrong with me just dawned on me when I heard about that book. Mm, Love it. And I think one of the biggest questions that a lot of people, they, it kind of just slowly comes up. And I remember asking myself this question too, when I first discovered that I was an empath Um, and a lot of people that are feeling very sensitive and feeling very porous, like they're absorbing energy. Yeah. A question that I would love to ask you is for someone that's currently feeling disempowered as an empath, how do we let them know that this is ultimately one of the biggest gifts? Yeah. Uh, so it is the biggest gift because if you're, if you feel this heightened sensitivity, this heightened perception, when we, when you don't know how to do the maintenance, how to deal with the levels of energy, it feels like a curse mm-hmm. because it creates distortion. It creates anxiety. It creates fear. It creates withdrawal, trying to just deal with it. But when you can learn how to harness your energy, how to do energy, I call it energy maintenance. If you're going to have all this energy coming in and out every day, we have to maintain it. It's just like, if you're going to eat and drink all day long, you got to brush your teeth. Mm -hmm. When you can start to really harness that, that heightened perception, that deep intuition, you're able to notice so much more going on than the average non-empath, you have deep spiritual gifts, right? I, now that I am not clouded by all the anxiety and the thoughts and the low self-worth and what did I do wrong every single, you know, thoughts all day long, it's that that empath nature of heightened perception, like deep reading of subtle energy levels and the subtle energy field I now have semi uh, semi psychic, you know, experiences. I'm able to see things right before they happen. I I can I have intuitions that come in, and like am able to just act on them immediately because I can tell it's intuition, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that our the empath has 
true intuitive gifts. We just have to do the energy hygiene so that it's not just overwhelming us, right? Yeah. And similar to energy hygiene, like you mentioned, I love the way you describe that. One thing that comes to mind are also energy leakages. Like what are our energy leaks? I would love to also hear about, you know, some of the signs that we can recognize and how do we recognize energy leakages and what can we do about it? Yeah, I love this one. I'm always cleaning up energy leaks. So I'll give you like the kind of woo-woo, like yoga, you know, breathwork yeah. side of it. And then I'll give you like my day-to-day energy. Love it. Clean house cleaning, right? Because that's important too. Um, because we live in this world, we live in this body. We can't deny that, right? That's Tantra. So um, energy leaks, when we... Okay, so let me back up and say that this is why empaths have a hard time in general. It's because our modern world, you know, empath nature is not like a disorder or a distortion. It just means that you're highly sensitive. And these empathic people used to be the medicine woman in the village, the shaman they were provided for. They didn't have to like go out and like go to to a nine to five job. They got to sit around with their totem and have like, you know, gifts brought to them. And then they did their thing in our modern world. It has, kind of pushed empaths to have to create all of these um, coping strategies because as an empath, you're, you're maybe not cut out for being out in the world with all this noise around you every day or going to work and having to talk to a bunch of people. So we're sort of pushed into a lot of energy links, leaks as empaths just by having to live in capitalist society, right? Mm. So for me, you know, the energy leaks come from the world that we live in. The energy leaks are having to answer emails all the time. When you're an empath, you're not able to just let your email sit. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, right? Like, like, you know, going to your, I know we're on video, but the podcast can't see that, but like you're going to your computer constantly checking. So I like to look at it more from the level of how you can make your energetic core strong enough that you kind of plug up the leaks from the inside, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that it, it kind of brings me back to being a chemistry nerd. Um, you know, water will flow into an empty container, but water won't flow into a container full of water. It's already full, right? Mm-hmm. So plugging those energy leaks from the inside, because most of them in our life just kind of happen from living in this world, looks like doing daily energy maintenance. I recommend doing some kind of breath work every day because it's the simplest, quickest way to start to increase that energy level in your body and start to really heal up your nervous system. Because when your nervous system is shot like Swiss cheese, you have no shielding. You can't clean your, you know, you can't clean up those leaks. When you heal that nervous system, when you really make it strong and, and, healed, um, not Swiss cheese anymore, then you're less impervious to the energy intruders, right? Mm -hmm. So it comes from within. That's the first thing I'll say. Um, and, and obviously because I do breath work and yoga, that's how I would say to, to do that. You know, I think if you're called to like Reiki or something else, that's fine too. I just think it's really powerful to access the breath, to really make your core strong, um, energy core, your abs can be strong too, but (laughs) Um, in terms of what I do every day to really clean up my own energy leaks, um, 
you know, as an empath, I've always sort of avoided dealing with like mundane tasks because it makes me feel exhausted and stressed out. So I would always ignore like my bank account and my bills and my emails and all this stuff if I didn't have the time to like fully give to them in the moment. So one of the biggest things for me, honestly, has been having a weekly financial date where I like mm. force myself to go into every single bank account and credit card and look at it and like make a plan. Um, you know, clearing out my email inbox every single day is huge for me. Um, and taking social media breaks is big too. I set a timer on my phone and like, don't go on my phone. So in terms of the mundane actions that I take, those are really helpful. They keep me really, they give me a lot of clarity. I love that. And Speaking of having a financial date with yourself, I think that's the biggest form of self-care that a lot of people do not talk about. Like you mentioned, we live in a very capitalistic society and it can be very detrimental to our mental health and our spiritual health as well. And I noticed even self-care has kind of been bastardized to fit this capitalistic mold of like, buy this beauty product, buy this face mask, yeah. buy this, buy that. When you should really look at your bank account once a week. At least. <laughs> at least to feel just present with yourself and where you're currently at. So I love, love that you mm -hmm. brought this up. So one of the biggest questions that I also would love to ask you is, there's so many beautiful things that you're doing in this container, in the supportive community that you're building in the world. And I thank you for that. And so for someone that wants to work with you, mm. how can they get started? Where can they best find you? Yes. Yes. Thank you. So mm. I, one of my goals, one of my missions with this is to make it accessible at all levels of investment, at all levels of time, energy, all those things, because you know, when I started this path, I literally went to India and like immersed myself in a training for, you know, five weeks and not everybody has time to do that. So how can we get you started on this path? And um, one point I'll make to that is, you know, Tantra, this, this practice in this life of Tantra, it's the householder's path in India, meaning it's the path of the person who can't go be a monk in the mountains. It's the path of the person who has children and a wife or a husband, and they can still practice these life-changing techniques. So that's big to me is to make it accessible. So that said, I have everything from free practices. Instagram, I'd say is the best place to find me. Um, I do have an email list, which, you know, I intuitively send, which is my way of saying I send the email like once a month, but Instagram is where I share a lot of wisdom and practices. So I have a bunch of free practices on my Instagram. I've got a YouTube channel as well. Um, all of that can be found in my links. So, you know, if you put my Instagram in the show notes, um, I have one-on-one. -on -one, so past free, I have, you can do like an hour session with me. That's just straight up breath work. And that's really beautiful, especially for people that are like, Ooh, I don't know what that is. Like, I don't want to like, I don't want to feel electricity in my like fingertips. Right. <laughs> um, so that's a great place to start. And then past that I offer, you know, other one-on-one -on -one mentorship and um, courses, you know, as you go along this path, it starts to get more advanced, more deep. And so once you kind of anchor at a certain level of doing these introductory practices, there's a lot of stuff that I literally can't teach to the public. Like I can't put them on my page. Mm -hmm. um, I'm honoring the lineage, like the tantric practices that are passed from student to te teacher to student, teacher to student. They're not in any books. 
So at that point, I have one-on-one clients where I will initiate them into these deeper practices. So it's a really beautiful kind of progression of everything. I love that. Thank you so much, Kat. And for those of you listening, I'll definitely leave the link to her Instagram in the show notes. So please go over and visit Kat's website and Instagram, show her some love. Kat, my last biggest question to you is what is one deep lasting impact you would like to leave in the world? Wow. Big last question. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I would, I would like to leave a legacy of anyone who is sincerely seeking this knowledge and anyone who is sincerely seeking this freedom to know that no matter how hard or intimidating or inaccessible to them, it seems if they truly want to grow and evolve, then they, they are worthy Mm. that they should not be afraid and they don't need to be afraid to find a teacher and start to do this work because it doesn't matter what your life looks like on the outside. It does not matter if you don't like travel the world or live in the tropics or have some awesome yoga bod. This is for you. All you have to do is want it. And that's what my, that's my mission. And that's also what I hope to leave as like an imprint on people. My inner empath is like singing as I'm hearing you say this. Thank you so much, Kat, for being on the show. I so appreciate your time here today. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm so happy we connected and this was amazing. Hey there. Have you ever been curious on what type of empath you are? Well, you're in luck. I created a quiz where you can discover what your empowered empath archetype is. After working with empaths from all over the world, I wanted to develop a framework to help you step courageously and aligned in your calling. Too many of us are walking around with gifts misconstrued as weakness. It's time to put a stop to that. Uncover and cultivate the intuitive gifts you were born with. Link to the quiz is in the show notes or visit michellesaya.com. See you on the other side.